In part two of my conversation with Abby, she talks about how she won her principal position back and then how she found that she was being paid considerably less than her male colleagues and how she fought to be paid a salary commensurate with them. And finally, we discuss how she was able to stay so strong in such a difficult situation. You had to have several trials. I remember on one trial, let me quote this. This is before the second trial. This is amazing. The quote, which I I assume was the first in German, it says, the plaintiff does not possess the necessary physical strength to be a leader of the trombone section. (laughs) She is not in the position to lead the trombone group. Apart from that, she lacks the required empathy, unbelievable, to translate the wishes of the music director. Um, I mean, we're... (laughs) Wow, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how did people in, in New York Street, did they know that you were going through this or, or not? Yeah, you know, they were hardly aware of it, actually. I think they kind of uh-huh. knew, you know, Frau Conan's making a process or something, but I never talked about it. I, I was just very professional. I would show up, you know, play my best, you know, leave and not talk about it. I was, you know, not that kind of a person, you know. So yeah. I just kept it to myself and, you know. If somebody asked, I might say something, but nobody really asked, you know. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. The so that took uh, five years, and I had to. Let's see. Oh wait, yeah. And when I get getting my position back, I had to re-audition, and there's a whole saga about that because what they decided was they gave the city of Munich years to come up with criticisms against me. Mm-hmm. They couldn't remember what I'd even played, right? So they had to go looking through, you know, old programs and say, well, okay, she, oh, she played Tuba Miram, right? Okay, she played Mahler Fifth. Okay, so they, they, they criticized those two things. Well, all of this is recorded by the Bavarian radio. They could have just played the recordings. Right, oh, but no, right. they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So they thought they were okay. Well, we'll get her on this. She, um, she could, you know, they, they claimed that I was having trouble breathing, right? Unüberhörbar and all this stuff like, or something like I had mm-hmm. no idea, right? And I was like, where, what? Well, as it turned out, I had gotten a glowing letter of test, uh, testimonial from the, con- the guest conductor that had, you know, conducted the Mozart Requiem and Mahler Fifth. Who, who was that? It was Joaf Talmi. Okay. I don't know if you knew him. Israeli no, I haven't conductor. heard of that name. Yeah. Anyway, so so that just kind of blew them out of the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and then, <laughs> then the they you know, they were given another chance to city. I won, okay, obviously. And then they did a what do you call it? A an appeal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Zweite Instanz, and then uh, the judge then decided, okay, well then we need a conductor to decide because I'm not a musician, right? Mm -hmm. So each side was supposed to make suggestions, which I thought was really weird. But anyway, so I found, you know, a, a book of all the conductors in Germany, all the opera houses and symphony orchestras. And I said, I just handed that in. I said, I'll play for any of any of them, you know. And they came up with one. They couldn't find a conductor who would say yes, because probably they, th- you know, in the end, um, anybody 
they the judge picked or anybody they picked would be you know worried about never being able to conduct again at the Munich Philharmonic if they vote you know if they, if they found me oh, wow. adequate uh-huh. you yeah see? yeah that's interesting. so that was, conductors they didn't none of them wanted to do that so they decided oh well then we'll get a trombone professor and so they they suggested a, a trombone professor in Munich from another orchestra. As it turned out, we were vying for the same professorship, right? So there was a conflict of interest. So that got, so this, this took years. Then finally, they, they got another guy um, who was a professor in Mannheim at the time. And uh, Paul Schreckenberger. Right, <laughs> right. Terror Mountain. And um, he sent, you know, the excerpts that he thought, you know, most difficult ones that would really prove one way or the other, whether I was fit to play second trombone physically or mentally or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he, so he set a date. Second trombone or first trombone? First trombone. First trombone, okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, because, I mean, I had second. Yeah. But right. I, I had to prove that I could play first again. Yeah. So, so he, you know, he sent those. And then he would, what he would do was he would... um Set a date and then cancel right before it. After you know, me practicing, you know, when you're in the orchestra, you don't usually practice excerpts all the time. So you know, you really have to go for it, right? Right, right. And so, and then he, what he'd do is he would like put the, put uh, the, uh, you know, the appointment where I was, you know, had to play another audition basically for him. He would put it like right after a vacation knowing that I would have to then use my whole vacation time, you know, to practice hard. And he did that for two years. Why? He was basically just being a jerk, right? And a kind of form of harassment. And um, and then at the end he said, you know, they were going to pay him like a thousand dollars or something, you know, the equivalent of or more for 45 minutes. So listen to me. And he finally said, oh, I don't have time to do it. Okay, so there's two years of my life. And then they, so they looked for another one. And another guy, another uh, trombone professor said yes immediately and basically sent me the same excerpts or, more, or similar and said, okay. And, and like three weeks later, he made a, a, a time and I traveled up to Detmold and did the, this audition on on the uh, big stage they have up there and it was professionally recorded and then um an an official person from the city of munich was there to make sure everything went okay and that was rolf quinque you might know him yeah i've never met him the the trumpet player the trumpet professor at at the what was then the richard strauss conservatory right Right. very famous i I had a couple of records of his and very famous especially for high uh trumpet playing baroque trumpet playing yeah and he had his own method uh methodology and everything right and i mean you know and he just basically made sure that everything was above board and so heinz fadle was the professor at detmold and he was the guy that that auditioned, re-auditioned me. And so Mm -hmm. he had me play each excerpt at least three times, sometimes four times in a row, and with different tempi, with different phrasings, different, you know, different Anweisungen, Mm -hmm. um, different wishes, 
Yeah, yeah. So he could really tell if I were flexible, if I were, if I had empathy, because <laughs> that was the, the one thing that I, of course, apparently I lacked, <laughs> mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, it was grueling. It was not like any normal uh, uh, audition at all. Mm-hmm. And so, at the end of that. Uh, he had to write up a report of what he heard. He he listened to the tape a whole bunch of times and really analyzed it. And he wrote to the, he had to write to the judge so that he would understand it. And he basically said um, stuff about my playing, my embouchure, my breathing. And then he said, um, the only, the only thing I, I could find where there was one single not quite centered note <laughs> in the audition, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I did, I did play well and uh, uh-huh. that's, you know, so, so that was basically it. That's when I got my position back. Right. And didn't you, I, one of, I mean, one of the things that to me I would think would be the most humiliating was that you had to take a breathing test Oh, where... that was pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See what I mean? It's a long story. And Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, I'm, and I'm not just trying to... No, to... I th- I'm glad you reminded me. But I think it's really important that for if people don't know this story, just to realize yeah. how humiliating certain parts of it were. <laughs> because I... I, I I want to ask you afterwards, I want to get to this, how, sure. how you can be so strong to go through this. But anyway, first talk about this breathing... Yes. Oh gosh. So I had told my my very my first union lawyer, um, Herr Holman, very very nice, very dignified man, and you know I said, you know, there's this famous um, brass teacher, you know, just world famous. Everybody goes to him. His name is Arnold Jacobs, and he's in the Chicago Symphony, and he's the world's expert on breathing and brass playing. Maybe I should go to him and get some sort of official document, you know, documentation that, you know, my breathing's fine and I'm strong enough to play first trombone. He said, well, that's an idea. Um, or maybe maybe you should go to a lung clinic because, you know, everybody understands that. And I said, okay, where would I find a lung clinic? <laughs> well, as it happened... Just in one of the suburbs of Munich is a very famous one called the Gauting Gautinger Lungen Clinic, you know, lung clinic. And he said, just go there and have have them just really check you over thoroughly and write it up, and we can use that. I like okay, so I went, and and they kind of poked, you know, I had to disrobe, and they poked around, and you know, and they made they put me in this this airtight cabin where I had to sort of breathe through tubes and breathe as fast as I could and breathe as out as fast as I could. They measured how much, uh, they, they pricked my ear, took blood to see how fast my blood oxygenated. They, you know, all of these tests for, for people that have emphysema usually, or, you know, some pneumonia, these kinds of things. And, and so then they called after all of these tests, they called me in and they said they were kind of looking at me like, well, why are you here? You know, are you some sort of athlete? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I said, no, I'm a trombone player, you know. <laughs> and um, and they said, well, these results are are great. You know, you're you're incredibly 
you have a ton, a lot of air and you can move it really quickly and all this other stuff. And, uh, and so I had all those results and, and that, I don't know if they actually, it, you know, I think it made maybe some difference in the uh -huh. court case, but you know, yeah, I had to, had to do that. And just doing that is, was kind of creepy, you know, cause oh, yeah. it's like, wait a minute, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It was. I don't even know how to put put it into words. Yeah, actually. and to me, it's actually almost irrelevant because I know, for example, um, you know, I'm sure you know Gail Williams. Uh, oh yeah, great horn player. Um, Gail has a really um, limited vital capacity. You know, everybody yeah. talks about vital capacity and how how mm -hmm. important it is, and and Gail does not have a big vital capacity at all. Yeah. But she's so incredibly efficient. If you if you watch her when she plays, it's like a textbook case of posture and how you should play an instrument you know in terms yes. of breathing because she can't get away with being sloppy with her breathing with some somebody else who has a big vital capacity can so it's it's partially or to a large extent how you use what you have you know and so yeah. to me sending you to it to have your lungs tested and all of that even though you came out looking you know perfect uh mm -hmm. to me that's totally just, irrelevant if you're doing the job but that it yeah. sounds, sounds like that's not what they were after anyway so <laughs> but no. but for me one of the one of the questions i mean if we get into to thinking about how how this relates to today and and just general things sure one thing that i think about a lot is is how how can you how can you be how were you so strong in in a situation like that because i would think for myself it's like okay i'm going to bail you know that's mm -hmm. i don't i don't want to put up with this i mean were you always that way or did you mm. did you find that you got stronger as time went on or did you have to work on this was this did you read no. books or did you just hang in there or what i mean well, in other words how for a, for a young woman today who's in college mm -hmm. or starting out with with a, a job and who maybe is facing some problems hopefully mm -hmm. not nearly as extreme as yours but what can they gain from your experience well uh you know no i i was i think basically uh, you know your basic musical you know introvert i mean you know i just as a personality and basically a kind of a shy person mm -hmm. you know i mean not, maybe i'm not anymore as much but that's that's kind of my baseline, you know. That's where I'm coming yeah. from, and um, so, and I think a very friendly person always. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I don't know. Um, gosh, how shall I say? Like I said, I didn't have any. Real, I wouldn't say I had any feminist consciousness or any sort of attitude or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to play in an orchestra and um and i just was like what is all this other stuff i you know what what's the pro you know i just didn't get it mm -hmm. and uh i think as things developed and and i started to see you know it was that first you know the problem we need a you know man for the soul trombone that that were just like whoa woke me up and um that and that somebody would just say it it seemed incredible mm -hmm. to me you know like oh so you spelled it out okay um i i guess i had to 
then it became more open with Chelly Badaki. I mean, where he he had demoted me, but he was still work trying to. Uh, that's when he really tried to hurt me, you know, tried to say or just sort of disparage me, you know, in his way, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like he, he had these at the ends of concerts, he would have almost every solo chair stand up or, or, or actually he would point and, and have, you know, you, the person stand up. And, and so occasionally he would just, he would have the he would go first and third, right? <laughs> so that I didn't, you know, get get a bow, right? Because yeah, when I was yeah, playing yeah. second, right? <laughs> Things like that. And you know, for I think for some to me it was just so absurd and petty that I guess I didn't even take it personally. Mm-hmm. You know, but it devastated some people. Just devastated them. You know, when he because he would do that to solo players. Yeah. And um he knew how to destroy people. You know, he yeah. did know that. And many people just, yeah, they fell by the wayside. He had, you know, when he became um, general music director, he had a, a what they called the Schwarze Liste. He had a black list of people oh, okay. he wanted to work on and, you know, either move down or try to get rid of them. Yeah. You know? But because of my fight, I, I actually, I think I actually blocked some people from from getting you know the full force of his uh his attempt to destroy them you know some people you know because i you know obviously i was a big distraction because i was i was fighting back i wasn't mm-hmm. you know taking it right, in a sense. right but you know that sounds like i was strong and you know <laughs> like you know i wasn't i was it was terrifying but i i I guess my husband always says that one of one of my strengths is that I have this ability to be imperturbable, I guess. Mm-hmm. I wasn't imperturbable. I just hit it. I hit it, you know, like what I thought a professional should do. You know, you do your job. You do really well. You're friendly. You're a good colleague. You go home. And then you have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a crying jag or something, and then you're, uh-huh. you know, your dear husband puts you back together again, and you know that kind of thing, and right, and that's kind of how how I worked. So I I instinctively knew that if I were overreactive, then they'd say, "Oh, you're hysterical." You know what I mean? Hysterical. Yeah, they woman. would say that about women, but not about men. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. just hysterical, and yeah. so I was always kind of kept my cool partly because i was terrified mm-hmm. to say the wrong thing you know yeah, and it yeah. Was, uh-huh. you know and and i never quite knew what was going on behind the scenes like how could i know right mm-hmm. there was this whole cabal and there were these people around you know orchestra orchestra members around chelly bedahi that were sort of his people you know what i mean and so right, the whole right, orchestra felt right. Yeah, really uncomfortable and sycophants, really essentially sycophants and and people who would, if they had a chance, would betray you in a heartbeat, kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Just just people, I don't know. And so um, I guess I just one thing that really helped me when things got really heavy. There was uh, I would played in a brass quintet with 
most of the members, yeah, you know, there's only one person who wasn't a member of the orchestra, and it was one of the trumpet players, and he had all the music, and it was his idea to form the quintet. Nice, really nice guy. And he was actually an American, and he, he one day he said, you know, I had I read this book, and it's really great, and I think you should read it. And and so I took it home, and I started to read it, and I spent, I was up all night reading it, because it was called Pulling Your Own Strings by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Oh, Wayne yeah, Dyer uh -huh. is a very well-known uh, psychologist. Euronius Jones. Yeah, that was his first yeah. book. And I think Pulling yeah. Your Own Strings was his second book, okay. second or th something like that. And nobody would ever heard of it or anything. And anyway, so I, I read it, and, and the very next day I put the stuff I'd learned into action, and, and, and it worked. <laughs> I, when somebody's screaming at your face you know, an orchestra mm -hmm. representative. And, and you know, one of the things he said, if somebody's, you know, literally yelling at you or screaming in your face, just turn your back. <laughs> hmm. And I tried that. And it was like, oh, my God, the screaming stopped and he went away. You know, <laughs> wow. it was kind of like I never learned how to deal with uh, difficult, irrational, angry hate-filled people before mm -hmm. right it, i'd mm -hmm. never had the experience so how could i right and um so that book just taught me all these actual tools so when Chelly vidaki um we had a total standoff that day and uh he he had this was right after the famous talk in the taxi cab right and he said, "Oh, you should, you should uh, specialize in Ravel and Debussy." Well, then, the next day we had Ravel and Debussy, right? So I thought, okay. So I sat first, mm -hmm. even though I was supposed to understand, right, that I right. I was going to sit second. The other first trombone was there, right? But I got there first, <laughs> so I sat in the first chair, and I just thought. We'll just see what happens, right? And so that that's when the orchestra representative came running up to me and started screaming at me and waving his arms. And, and then I saw him run to the little office where Chelly Vidaki hung out before rehearsals and, and, you know, tell him that Frau Konant was, you know, sitting in the first chair and probably, you know. And so Chelly Vidaki comes out from his little place and, and he's sort of, you know, looking very grand and powerful. And, and he steps up on the, on the, you know, conducting stand, turns to the, to the first violins and says, excuse me, I have something to, that I have to do first. And then he turned and looked squarely at me and he screamed at the top of his lungs. You know, he said, you know, you agreed to, to play second or, you know, to go down, you know, mm -hmm. so, and, you know, the whole orchestra, you could hear a pin drop. They were scared to death, right? Because this was just bizarre. And, you know, I just read that book. And so, and I knew, I, I guess I had this thing where if somebody's going to be all really emotional toward me and, and kind of manipulative, that I could just kind of remain neutral. And probably for the first time in my life, I was able to respond instead of just react, truly, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, I, I, I said, I never agreed. 
Then he said. Then leave the position. Uh-huh. Uh, I sat there for a moment and thought, well, okay, probably if I insist, they'll, they'll carry me out, you know. And so I just changed places with the for the other solo trombone who was sitting second, and we carried on. Well, but during the first break, he, he called me in, right? And and he, he was sitting at this at the end of this table, you know, and uh, I was supposed to, you know, sit there. And he started screaming at me again, just yelling, what do you think you're doing? And, and you agreed. And I, and I just sort of let it let it sort of, you know, let him go. And um, and I <laughs> and I said. A la Wayne Dyer, I said, you seem upset. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I didn't mean it like I'm saying it now. I I was literally just like, you know, okay, what do I do now? I didn't have the book with me, but I just remembered, ah, when somebody's screaming, just say, you seem upset. So that you get the sense that it's all coming from them. Yeah, right. You know, and then not you. It has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with you, right? Right. And then he really went wild, and the whole orchestra was kind of sitting around, you know, having their, you know, their Weisswurst and their Weissbier and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. they were just like, their ears were just like, what is going on at that table kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what I would say to young women is like, that is a great book to to have, I think, going into any situation, because, you know, if... Most people don't learn just basic um, how to deal with difficult people skills, you know, or how to sort of separate yourself from others in this in that in that sense where uh, you are basically uh, you can you can actually you can respond instead of react. That's mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. at. Where you can be objective, you can actually think of 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 an answer or a response instead of just like, ah, <laughs> freezing during the headlights. Right. You know? Right. And like the first, like the first bassoon said to me after that little incident, he said, I was absolutely, my whole body was shaking. I could hardly play after that. You know, I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, it, yeah. It seems to me that, that things are, far better today. I mean, there are more women in orchestras and also there are women conductors. Now there are a lot of women conductors over the past, especially over the past, maybe what, three to four years. Yes. Really gotten um, either prominent positions or prominent guest conducting um, Mm -hmm. opportunities. Yeah. So um, I think we've come a long way. Yes. Um, But there's always, you know, the future that things, things can get better. Um, yes, but you think for, for young women, not only brass players, but just for other instruments too, Mm -hmm. um, that you would think things are more promising now than they used to be. Yes. I would still, yeah. Like you say, there's still problems and, and still as a low brass player, especially, I think Mm -hmm. maybe a trumpet player, but you know, you're still going to walk into a group of men. All yeah. men, right? And mm-hmm. some of them are not going to be well socialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and then just sort of try to, you know, 
make you not feel welcome or not not feel part of you know the group or or comment on what you what you're wearing or you know just dumb un yeah. you know uncivilized behavior yeah. if you will yeah. it's like haven't been around haven't had to work with women let alone you know if it's a principal position and mm -hmm. they're you know under you know they're they're you know they they're supposed to listen to the principal trombone right right the right principal trumpet yeah. some some men would have a problem with that i have you know i have this theory um and tell me if you sort of agree with this or not but i wrote a blog about it and it started out with talking about tennis players that when bjorn borg was very young and started his career he mm -hmm. hit a two-handed backhand and in those days nobody hit two-handed backhands and so people said he basically doesn't have a chance you know because he's not playing the right way but then he started winning everything and jimmy connors was playing at the same time with a two-handed backhand and then all of a sudden players started doing that and and it, it became accepted and a mm -hmm. number of players still hit with a two-handed backhand today and and my theory was that if if you take in the world of trumpets you take an allison balson and a tina ting Helseth, mm -hmm. and they're top soloists now and they're young girls who are looking at these two stars mm -hmm. and they're going to want to be trumpet players too just like a young kid wanted to be like bjorn borg and hit a mm -hmm. two-fisted backhand and i think i i see that being really positive um in the fact that they're soloists but so far there are not too many women who are principals in orchestras and i think when you get more who become prominent um in orchestras as as principals that maybe let's say 10 years later when you have these young girls mm -hmm. who see them and and look up to them as role models 10 years later there are going to be a lot of women that are that are principals in orchestras oh yeah well you know one hopes i mean yeah you know i think rebecca bauer Cherian um is you know solo first trombone in the pittsburgh symphony she's been there for over 30 years right? mm -hmm. And nobody, it's like nobody even knows, remembers that she's been there all this time. And they were mm -hmm. asked, kind of even asked, you know, how was this, you know? But I mean, it was, it was, you know, she almost got fired because some colleague went up to the general music director and said, you know, she's, you know, she's not strong enough to play first, you know, physically, mm. You know, just a nasty comment, and wow. that's insane. You know, yeah. she's great, and yeah. so she, you know, but she put her under this just horrible stress for quite a while. You know what I yeah. mean? And they were putting, um, just to harass her. You know, some of her colleagues were, you know, were putting pornography inside of her music so she'd open oh, it up man. in the concert and turn to something hor horrific. You know, just that kind of. Oh, you know. Yeah, that's stuff I can't understand. Yeah, I know. Anyway, yeah. so it's not just me, and and it it is changing, and it's. I just hope that you know the brass section is is not the last bastion, you know, to change. I think humanity. Hopefully, we see we have a tendency to make progress and we have you know and evolve and change learn learn new things see differently and drop a lot of our prejudices you know to hear more of my conversation with abby please go to the bonus room 
where we discuss her being featured in Malcolm Gladwell's best-selling book, Blink, her primary teachers and her own teaching, and also her thoughts on women in music today. <laughs> 